Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Thank you for braving the cold. And uh, for those of you who are in the gym, we're glad that you're in there. You're nice and warm. And uh, for those online, thanks for joining us as well. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, as we will walk through um, the first 35 verses this morning. And then, uh, what's that, Peggy? Acts 15, verses 1 through 35. I'm going to read um, these verses to you. We're actually going to break this down into two sessions. One today, um, I've entitled, Through the Grace of Our Lord Jesus. Uh, it'll be part of what we see Peter explaining and talking about at the, the council that meets in Jerusalem. Um, then next week, we're going to walk through some of the law and uh, what they share in the letters. And so um, don't be alarmed. We're not going to go through all 35 verses in a deep, deep way today. Uh, I'm going to read them here, and then we're going to kind of walk through it a little bit and explain some things, and then uh, jump around a little bit. Really, the thrust of today is talking about grace. And when we see what grace is, we see what grace has done, then we get to see grace lived out, lived out in our lives and lived out in the lives of others. And so that's our theme for today. Um, if you would, join with me and let's, uh, let's read. Acts chapter 15, you follow along with me. I'll be reading from the ESV, and uh, you can follow along verses 1 through 35. Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judah and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting, to God, putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, 
as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. From, the ancient, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men amongst the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were, with, uh, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers of those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to read your word this morning. And I pray that you would take it and use it in our minds and in our hearts. Challenge us by your spirit, Lord, to live for you. Convict us in the areas where we need great conviction, Lord. We are people who go astray, often going our own way. But Lord, we need to go your way. Your way is best. And so, Lord, help guide us to that. Help us be quick to humble ourselves before your throne. Help us to be quick to admit our wrong and our sin. Help us to be quick to come to you asking for your forgiveness, knowing that we have a gracious and merciful God who desires to forgive us, who desires to walk with us and to teach us all things. So Lord, this morning, may your word encourage our hearts and challenge us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen. So here we see um, 
Paul and Barnabas are still in Antioch, and as they're in Antioch, uh, they've returned back home. They've been uh, growing and ministering there. Um, we see that at the end of chapter 14. They remained there a little time with those believers. And as they remained there, there was some teaching. Well, then there were some men from Judah who came down and started uh, a little uprise. And that uprise had to do with the Jewish customs. Remember, the Jews were God's chosen people, and God was going to work through the Jews and bring salvation through the Jewish nation. That's what the Old Testament helps us to see. God's working through a select group of people to make himself known. We see that in the New Testament, Jesus came, that people of God, the Jews, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, God's chosen one. And because of that, then the gospel spread to not just the Jews, but also it spread out amongst the Gentiles as well. And so that's where we saw at the very beginning of this book, in the book of Acts, the gospel message going beyond Jerusalem, beyond just the Jews, to also include the Gentiles. Now, the struggle with that is, is as the Gentiles are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as some Jews are accepting Jesus as the Messiah, there's a conflict. The Jews have been raised, they've been taught, they've been embedded, it's been part of their life that this, the law is to be part of how they daily live. That's part of what God has called them as the Jewish nation. And so as the Gentiles accept Jesus as the Messiah, and as Paul writes in Romans, grafted into this great family, the Jews start then insisting that their, their customs and some of the law be integrated with the Gentiles. One of those, as we see here in this passage, is circumcision. I, uh, I meet weekly with a couple pastor friends of mine from college. We, we do a Zoom meeting, and we've done it for uh, several, several months now. Actually, the start of this whole pandemic, we, we just started, we needed, we needed some counsel and input and encouragement from one another. And so um, they, the guys asked me this week, so Aaron, are you preaching still in Acts? And I said, yeah, Acts chapter 15. And they said, so uh, tell us about circumcision and all this. And so we started talking and I said, I brought up the question to them. I said, how would they know if they were circumcised or not? Now that's just, I mean, that's not trying to be too graphic here, but it was a different culture, all right? It was a different way of living. And so um, I don't, I don't know exactly how to answer that question other than to say um, they, they probably figured it out, all right? And, and so with that, there is also this, uh, this it, it was an outward manifestation of something that was dear to their heart. When you read in, in the book of Genesis, as God is dealing with Abraham and has set Abraham aside, it is a very real requirement that God puts before Abraham. And, and these weren't little babies being circumcised. These were grown men being circumcised who Abraham and all of his household and all of his slaves and all those who were part that God was setting them aside would be circumcised at that very point in their lives, that they would be that obedient to God to, to take that step. And that was passed down through the generations that God had set aside a group of people to be called his own. So we see this conflict now 
that this is in really stark contrast of what what they've grown, what they've grown up to hear, what what they've always heard from the law and the prophets. And so so these teachers come down from Judah and they they come to Antioch because they've heard this this great uprising of people not only getting saved, but also Antioch is a, is a church sending. They're sending out missionaries. And so these teachers come and they said, listen, you can't be saved unless you are circumcised. And so we see here that in verse 2, it says, After Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So there's this great this great division, and ultimately what they decide is, okay, hey, let's go talk um, to the leadership that's in Jerusalem. And so they make, uh, they make the trip to Jerusalem. And so in Jerusalem, we see this council that has, that has come. But before we get there, notice it, it's interesting that I think Dr. Luke helps us to see. On their way there, Dr. Luke includes this little tidbit that could easily have been left out, but he includes it. It says, as they were going to Jerusalem, verse 4, um, actually verse 3, when they went, sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Now, what's the difference? The difference is the contrast, right? There's great dissension. There's great struggle. There's hardship over here. And yet here, as they're going along their way, they're sharing about how the Gentiles have accepted Jesus and God's work in there. And there's an outpouring of joy. There's great joy that's brought. And so they come to, they come to Jerusalem, verse 4. They are welcomed by the church and the apostles, the elders. And they declared that all that God had done with them. And so remember, Paul and Barnabas had traveled this whole first missionary journey going to different Gentile churches, and as they shared, um, people accepted Jesus. There was great work. God used Paul and Barnabas in marvelous ways, and then as they backtracked, they set up leadership. They set up elders in those churches. They came back to Antioch, their sending church, told them the story and all that was going on, and I'm sure the stories had traveled, but Paul and Barnabas haven't gone back to Jerusalem yet. This is their first travel back. So they're traveling back to Jerusalem, and they get to tell what God had been doing on this trip. And so as they're sharing this, uh, it says that, that there were some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. They rose up, and they said this, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep, in order them to keep the law of Moses. So... There was part of the religious um, establishment of that time that could not get past of the keeping of the law. That what was required for the Jews was also a requirement for the Gentiles. And so uh, verse 6 tells us that the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in early days God made a choice amongst you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, and giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, he made no distinction between us and them, the Gentiles. He made no distinction, having cleansed their heart by faith. It wasn't because of the works, their works. It was because of the faith that the Gentiles had that Peter shared. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? The disciples there is not the 12 disciples. Remember, as we read through the book of Acts, disciples are those who are the followers of Jesus, those who are, um, have gotten saved. It's just part of the uh, term that's used for the church there. And so Peter says, why are you putting this bondage on them? And it reflects ultimately back to what Jesus, as he tells his disciples and he tells those who are hearing his, his message, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, Jesus says. And so Peter is referencing that. He's calling back to that. And off, ultimately, he's also calling back to the beginning of this book that we see in Acts as Peter was going out and sharing the gospel as the gospel moves from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, as Peter goes out to Samaria and the gospel, we already read about the gospel account of how Peter shared and people accepted Jesus and the spirit came upon them. They were baptized and it was real. It was genuine. It was something that Peter had seen, not only just Paul and Barnabas. So as Peter is sharing, he's saying, why are we going to do, uh, put this great burden that, that isn't right? And so um, verse 11 is the theme of today, okay? It says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. So what ultimately Peter says is, listen, we're saved. We believe we're saved. We are saved through faith, through the grace of our Lord Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus that we are saved. It's not through the keeping of the law. It's by the grace of Jesus. And so he says, and I believe that not only we are saved, but they are saved too. They're saved by the grace of Jesus. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent, and they then listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. Again, this is the, now, again, the, the, the recollection that people are hearing uh, firsthand from Paul and Barnabas, what has happened on their trip, the signs and the wonders. Now, as you hear stories, sometimes it's one thing to hear a story from, from somebody down the line, right? But when you talk to somebody who was an eyewitness, who was right there, who shared the message or who witnessed it, who saw it, you know that that's truth, it's not an exaggeration. It's not some, some made-up story. This is the real Paul and Barnabas who are sharing what God has done. Verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied. Remember who James is. All right, James is an important character, an important uh, person in Jerusalem at this time because as the apostles went out and, and shared the gospel, as the message went out into the world, there was leadership that was put in in, in place in Jerusalem. James seems to be the leader of that, of, of that leadership. And so him speaking is an important part because he's, he's the leader of that. And so it, it's kind of like uh, when you have leadership and you have a group of leaders and ultimately the president of that leadership, when they speak, um, you listen to them because they're giving that, that, that top authority view. And so here's James uh, sharing from, from his perspective, but ultimately from the group as they've gathered together the leadership. And, and he says this, he says, brothers, listen to me. I love that. Don't you? 
Sounds like my wife and my kids. Will you guys just listen to me? He's trying to get their attention. He's, he wants to get their focus. Listen. Listen to what I have to say. Remember, again, what we just said. James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He holds a, a lot of authority. He holds a position of power. And so his words are weighted. And so he says, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. Going back to what we just read about Peter. How God had first visited the Gentiles to take them from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And so James is now going to quote a passage from Amos, from one of the prophets. And so we've, we, what we're going to hear is what the Jewish custom would have been reading the laws and the prophets. And he uses one of the prophets in Amos. And he's going to share, Amos has told us what this looks like. This is true, what Paul and Barnabas have come, what Peter has spoken about. Let me tell you, this is true. He says in verse 16, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Ultimately, in the story of Amos, as Amos is writing and recording in the prophet, uh, Israel is, is, has been uh, torn apart, the destruction of Israel. And so there's this hope that Amos records at that time. It says, God will rebuild. God will call his people back. And as Amos does that, he not only includes the Jews, he not only includes Israel, but as recorded here for us here, it also includes the Gentiles, which you and I are of. Are you thankful for that? I hope so. And so James finishes his speaking, his point, his his um, speech with this. Verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the part that we're going to look at next week. Okay, we're going to dig in. We're going to get in the weeds a little bit. It's going to be good. Uh, I'm excited to dig in there with you and, and look at these uh, aspects of, of, of verse 20. When we look at what has been given here, though, ultimately what we see is that grace, that grace is the winner. And, uh, and, and so I want to I share with you a few verses before we close from a couple different, a couple different places. So if you want to turn, you can or you can listen. John 1 Verses 16 and 17. You can work your fingers. John 1, 16 and 17. We know John records, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, ultimately, this is Jesus. 
that he's talking about. When we come down to verse 16 and 17, John records and says, For from his fullness, from Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now flip over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're actually going to read the first 11 verses here in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely, scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled with the holy God because of what Jesus has done. It's because of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, his death on the cross, taking our place and giving us life. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine in the, in, the, in the context of giving the gifts to those who are in need, Paul writes this: "For you know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The grace of God that Jesus would leave heaven and come to this earth and to die for you and me." What do we have to offer to God? What do we have to offer to a holy and perfect and righteous God? What do you, a sinful man, a sinful woman, a sinful child, what do you have to offer to a perfect creator? God, Christ left his place of glory and showed this act of grace. Ephesians chapter 2. Probably a text that we turn to a lot when it comes to grace. Galatians or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
in the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's an old uh, Ephesian truth that says one of the greatest blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. I think that's what Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus. Do you see what grace is? Do you see what grace has done? And are you seeing grace lived out? You may be um, familiar with the story of Jim Elliot. In 1950, Jim Elliot felt called to go to the Auka Indians, A-U-C-A. Is that how you say that? Anybody help me? Yes? Zach says no. Thank you, Cheryl. Called to... The Aka Indians in 1950, three years later, Jim Elliott, along with some other men, landed their plane on a little sandbar because they had felt that God had called them to share the grace of Jesus with this tribe of Indians that needed to hear him. Jim Elliott, in one of his journal entries, writes this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Ultimately, Jim Elliott gave his life along with those other men who landed on that sandbar. We would look at that today and say, how, how foolish that was. Why would, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they have protection? I, th I think sometimes we lose the beauty of God's grace. I think we are so selfish at times that we keep God's grace to ourselves. God has displayed his grace to us. It is not earned it is not something that we should have because we're good people. God displays his grace because he is a gracious and loving God. 
It is hard to truly explain grace. I don't deserve to be God's child. Yet, Jesus gave his life so that I could be. Jesus died in my place, taking all of my sin and disobedience upon the cross. He was whipped and scorned for my transgressions, for all my sin. He took it upon himself so that I could have life and a relationship with God forever. How much do we cheapen God's grace? I hope that you will see what grace is. And I hope that you will realize what grace has done for you. There's an old hymn called Grace is Greater Than Our Sin. And I just want to read to you a few words from this hymn as we close. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Verse 3 sticks out to me. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow. You may be today. It's because of God's grace. Don't, don't puff yourself up. Humble yourself before the almighty God and cry out and say, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we have the opportunity to give away what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. So I encourage you this day, this week, how does God desire for you to show grace? How can you show grace like Jesus showed you? That's a tall task, isn't it? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to do that. Lord, we do thank you for your amazing grace. It is sweet and we are undeserving. We thank you that you have displayed your love to us that even while we were sinners, even though while we were your enemies, that Jesus Christ would die in our place. He would allow us to be saved from our sin. It's by faith, the gracious gift that you give us, it's by faith that we can place our trust in Jesus, that Jesus would forgive us of our sin. And so, Lord, I pray if there's someone listening now who has not ever trusted Jesus as their Savior, that today they would accept the grace of Jesus. There's a lot of noises in our lives. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of different things. 
that can cause us to turn in multiple directions. I pray for the one who doesn't know Jesus that today they would surrender their heart to you. Lord, for those of us who have claimed Jesus as our Savior, help us. Help us to see what grace is all about. To catch a small glimpse of how amazing it really is. And then, Lord, to be able to display that, to show that, to speak that, to think that, Lord, we need your help. May you give us boldness. May your grace fill us up so that we may accomplish what you've called us to do. Just as your grace used Jim and his friends as your call upon their lives to tell the Aka Indians about Jesus, they gave their life for this cause. Ultimately, Lord, their life wasn't lost. They gained. They gained heaven and those who ultimately killed them would hear the gospel message through Elizabeth Elliot and others who graciously came and shared the gospel message with these savages who didn't deserve your grace, just like us. We're no different, Lord. We didn't deserve to hear your grace. We don't deserve to experience your grace. And yet you've given it to us and you've shared it with us. Not so that we would keep it to ourselves, but that we would be obedient even if it costs us our life. And so my prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to live in the fullness of grace and to be obedient in grace, to share the grace of Jesus Christ with those who we will see today and tomorrow and for the rest of our life. Your grace truly is amazing. Lord, when we look at your love, as we will sing in just a moment, it seems like your love is reckless to our point of view. But Lord, we know that you're not reckless about anything you do. You have a purpose and a plan. And yet, Lord, you've spent your love. You've sent it down. We're not worthy. So when we look at it, it mystifies us. May that cause us, Lord, action. May that cause action in our minds, in our hearts, as we pursue the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.